Well, here we are with a, with a brand new year, 2020. Uh, many of us will remember the turn of the millennium and thinking that 2020 was forever away. And here we are. And of course, with every new year, it's a good chance to pause and reflect. Some people make resolutions, various commitments to make 2020 better than 2019. And this morning, we're going to see how hiding God's word can be a wonderful resolution for 2020 to help us please even delight our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, we come with the expectation to hear what you have to say from us from your word. Open, Lord, our deaf ears and soften our hard hearts to hear your truth and your mercy. May we see Jesus afresh this morning. Through his name we pray. Amen. Now, why would anyone want to hide God's word? Can you think of any good reason to do so? Now, some might hide the Bible because it makes them feel guilty. Other people might hide the Bible because they're embarrassed and what would their friends think if they knew you were reading it? Now, these are not good reasons to hide God's word. However, there are some very good reasons. And so this morning, we're going to go through two examples and then a third from the Bible so that we can see why and how we should hide God's word in a way that pleases him. So what's the first example where it's good to hide God's word? Well, if you live in one of the 52 countries around the world where the Bible is illegal, then that's a very good reason to hide your Bible. So if we take China, even though limited Bibles are available to the Chinese state-controlled church, the underground or the house church movement, it's illegal for them to own Bibles. So when I was in China in 2016, working with a group of leaders from a large underground church, I was thrilled to see the contraband in their hands. And from the photo up there, you can see some of the Bibles. In fact, every one of those church leaders had somehow got hold of a Bible. In fact, there was one elderly gentleman that had a Bible where the Chinese characters were going down the page. It was that old. All of the other Bibles I saw had the Chinese character going across the page like we did. And so for them, their Bible was a real treasure. And the last thing they wanted to have was their Bible confiscated by authorities. And so they hid God's word. I came across another example in a biography by Malcolm Muggeridge. Now, you have to be of an older generation to know the name of this well-known, in his day, well-known journalist and TV personality. He was converted from atheism to Christianity in midlife. But God's hand was on Malcolm in an early age. Malcolm grew up after World War I in a very socialist household. His father was active in trade unions and local politics. With the war to end all wars and the certainty that humanity had learnt its lesson, socialism was on the rise in England. And Malcolm was stirred by his father's rhetoric of releasing workers from the shackles of their callous masters and from irrelevant religion. However, during this time, young Malcolm acquired a Bible, but he had a problem. With his parents' strident views, he couldn't read this forbidden book in the household. So as a young lad might, he got some plain brown paper and he covered the Bible and read it in the household and his parents never caught on that he was reading the Bible. Now he remarks that he didn't understand everything, but there were passages that impressed and moved him and he would underline them. He even, as a young lad, took the habit of taking the Bible to bed with him as it was a way 
to protect him from those dark thoughts that came in the middle of the night. And so that book, with its plain brown paper wrapping, became a treasure to Malcolm. And though through his adulthood he would look at it less and less, it was still in its prized position on the bookshelf until Christ's love broke through. And he knew Christ as Saviour, Lord and Friend. And of course, the Bible took on a whole new meaning. So that's the second example where it would be good to hide God's word, to hide it from parental authority in that specific case. And you may notice that it's for exactly the same reason. Both the Chinese underground church and Malcolm were hiding the Bible so they could read it freely. They hid the Bible so that they could read it even more and freely. And that's the whole point of the example from Psalm 119. This is the third example of hiding God's word. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart. Not from authorities, not behind brown paper wrapping from our parents, but we have hid God's word in our heart. Why? Because when it's hidden there, we can read it more freely. Psalm 119. It's a well-known psalm. Uh, Does anyone know why Psalm 119 is so well-known? Yeah, I can hear some comments. It's the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses. And the interesting thing about them is that only three do not reference God's word. 173 times the psalmist refers to God's word. Now, this would be particularly tedious if the psalmist used the same word. And so he uses a whole bunch of synonyms. He uses word, command, decree, law, and statute, and a couple of others as well. So he mixes all these words in a very clever, poetical way. And the theme, even though it's the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible, the theme is tremendous. It's all about the virtue and the wonder of God's word. The virtue and the wonder of God's word. So when we're reading it, and I recommend that you do, bravely in one sitting, you can substitute each of those synonyms with the word Bible. So back to verse 11. What does the psalmist mean by, I have hidden your word in my heart? Uh, How are we going to obey this command from God? Well, there's two things we need to do. First, we need to read God's word. And second, we need to memorize God's word. I mean, that's what hiding God's word in our heart means. It means memorizing it. Now, if you've been a Christian any length of time, this will be of no surprise, will it? Maybe you might even consider it a little ho-hum. You know, I've heard it all before. And as a pastor, if I knew that everyone in this room was going hard out, reading their Bible regularly and memorizing Scripture, then I would all I'd have to do is say a few well-dones. Keep up the good work. But I know that a good few of us struggle, don't we? Some of us struggle to open our Bibles regularly, let alone even think about committing anything to memory. So let's spend a time with each of these. Reading God's word, memorizing God's word, how can we be encouraged to do this better in 2020? So reading God's word. The Bible is made up of 66 separate books written across at least two and a half thousand years by different authors, each author inspired from God. It is translated into English out of the two original languages of Hebrew and Greek. 
So not only does this make the Bible very unique, it also makes it a bit of a challenge to read. And many Christians do struggle. So what are some encouragements for us to read God's word? Well, many people find daily devotional aids helpful. We're talking about daily bread booklets or the word for today. Now, we have some in the foyer. These are very good resources. And for a gold coin donation, you can take one or you can just take one if you want one. Now, the basic format of these devotional aids is a single Bible verse or short passage is then followed by the author's thoughts and insight. And these daily devotional aids are excellent in that they help us read the Bible when otherwise we would have no idea where to start. You know, we might open the Bible at a page and come across an obscure passage that we just can't make head nor tail of. And so these are very helpful if we feel overwhelmed or don't know where to start. Personally, I have two devotionals that I dip into most evenings. Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon is a favourite. Um, Chris put me onto that, which I'm forever grateful for. And the other one is My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. My Utmost for His Highest. It's a wonderful title, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, those are the two that I dip into most evenings, and you might have those or others. However, even the best devotional aids, no matter how helpful, they're limited. Now, why are they limited? Mainly because we depend on others to choose a passage, and then they tell us what they think it means. Now, if we depend on that, then our ability to handle God's word does not mature. We stay as baby Christians if we just stick to those devotionals because we are asking someone else to choose the Bible passage and someone else to do our thinking. We need to leave the milk and progress into the wonderful diet that is God's word. Your heavenly father has insights from the Bible about your cares and concerns, your dreams and desires that you'll never get from the insights of someone else. Your heavenly father is just waiting for you to pick up his word so that he can speak to you in that time and from his word. What a unique and satisfying thrill it is when God gives you a personal and direct insight from the pages of his word. If we stick to the devotionals, they are good. And so I'm not saying don't use them, but if we stick to them only, you are robbing yourself of that wonderful ability of God to speak to you from the pages of his word. Now, reading God's word regularly, though, requires a plan. What's your plan? If you just dip in randomly, then now and again you may get some tremendous insight or now and again you may come across that uh, well-known phrase, uh, Judas hung himself. Now, if you randomly come across that, it's a little bit difficult to get anything from that. And so random opening of the Bible has its place, but I suggest that not be your plan. There are a number of different plans. You can design your own or you can get plans from all sorts of places. So here's a question. If you want to read the Bible cover to cover in a year, how many chapters do you think you need to read a day? Any ideas? Yes? Close. Four. And if you read four a day, you'll have a little bit of change at the end of the year. So you'd knock it back just under a year. Good on you. Four chapters a day. So uh, if you read four chapters a day, you'll read the Bible cover to cover. You can get programs to do that. 
sort of plans that are on the internet or some of them have been around for years and then you just print them off and, and tick them off as you go. You can take two years if you want to go read the Bible cover to cover. Just read two chapters a day and you'll find you'll cover it. Or you can read the New Testament, set that as a goal. But have a plan. My plan is to cover the Bible in 12 months. I read, try and read four chapters a day. I start the beginning of the cycle by reading through the New Testament. I'll pick a book in random order, read through that book and then another book. Once I've done the New Testament, I start in the Old Testament. And so that's part of my reading plan. So I cover the Bible every 12 months. Now, I've got some plans in a PDF form. So when I mail out the sermon this week, I will attach some of those plans for you to look at. They're not as scary, and you can set your own pace. But you need to have a plan so that you're not just randomly dipping into the Bible when you feel like it. So there's some ways that you can help 2020 start reading the Bible more regularly. Use the devotional aids if you find them helpful, but also a plan. Right, this year I'm going to read the New Testament cover to cover, or you know, I'm going to read a psalm every day. Set a plan. But that's only the first step of getting God's word into our heart. The next step is to memorize God's word. Now, if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, I expect as a bare minimum that you know six verses off by heart. Six verses off by heart. I'm not sure anyone can call themselves a Christian if they can't give these particular six verses off by heart. Does anyone know what ones I'm referring to? You're looking a bit nervous here, some of you. Some of you are racking your brains and thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I know six. What's one? That... John 3.16, isn't that tremendous? For God so loved the world. As a hint for the other five... They are read together, Matthew 6, and you all did an awesome job reading them out just a few minutes ago. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Lord's Prayer is five verses. Is that fair, or have I been too tough on you? All Christians should know John 3.16 and the Lord's Prayer. But how are we to increase our repertoire from 6 to 16? to 60, to whatever. What are, some, what are some tips to do that? Well, first of all, how do we choose a scripture verse to, to memorize? Well, here's a question for you. Reading through the Bible, have you had this experience? And you may have read that part in the gospel before. And then you read that verse and you think, wow, I never knew that was there. The words just leap off the page. Have you had that experience? Yeah. may not be every time you pick up the Bible, but reasonably regularly. Oh, it happens to me all the time. <laughs> I think, hey, Lord, I didn't think that verse. Where did that come from? That's amazing. Now, when that happens, you should always linger. You should always pause because that's the Holy Spirit. He's giving you a bit of a nudge, a little bit of a poke. Sometimes he's giving you a little bit of a gentle slap around the ears to tell you to get your act together. But you should always pay attention to those verses when they leap off the page. Now, some of those will be the ones that you commit to memory. So you'll come across a verse and you think, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to spend some time committing that to memory. And you'll do that because it just spoke into your life at that particular time about a relationship or situation where you needed God's encouragement. So what do we do to initially commit that verse to memory? 
Let's say it's John 3.16. What I suggest you do, and you'll have different techniques, and our brains are wired slightly different, is to get a pad of paper and a pen and just write out, for God so loved the world, and then cover it up and then write it out again and write at it again until you get that phrase embedded and then work on the next phrase. And just keep going through that until you fill up your pad of paper and you're confident that you know that verse. I mean, that's worked for me in the past, and I still use that method regularly. The other thing I found really helpful was the use of a dictaphone. Now, I'm not talking about the apps on your phone. Most of us have a dictaphone function, but it's touchscreen, and that's just hopeless. I've tried. But for not a lot of money, you can get a dictaphone with real buttons, you know, that really press in. And so you can speak John 3.16 into the dictaphone, and then have a go without the dictaphone and just check. You know, that's quite different than pen and paper. For some people, that's really helpful. I can tell you, in Auckland traffic, I had that dictaphone permanently in my car, and I learned a lot of scripture because of Auckland traffic. Around here, it takes no time at all to get to see people. But like I said, you try that on the car with a with your phone and you'll end up wrapped around a lamppost or something with a with a touch screen. But anyway, those are two things that have worked with me. I mean, how are you wired to, to commit things to memory? So that's to get us started. But what about that dreaded, I learnt that memory verse but now had no idea what it means? And sometimes that's only half an hour later or it can be an hour later or even a day later. How do we keep that memorization going? How do we keep it stuck in our head? And the deal there is maintenance, going over what you've learned. And so it's really important that we do that. Now, with John 3.16 and the Lord's Prayer, the maintenance is church because at church we regularly say the Lord's Prayer and John 3.16 pops up in all sorts of places. But it's helpful to have a plan. So it may be that you think, right, In my devotional times this week, I'm going to revise John 3.16. And so for the next few quiet times, you just revise John 3.16. Once you've sorted that out again, you go to another one on your list. But when you do that, you find that these stick. They all come together. So maintenance, regular and essential. What you'll find if you'll do that, 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 that pool of six verses that you have, and some of you will have more, but at least... Most of us have those six verses. You'll find within a few months that that pool will increase. And maybe by the end of the year, you have 20 verses or or 40 verses that you're really comfortable with and that you find that they come to mind reasonably easily. So all this is doing is getting God's word into our heart. So I just want to pull this together as we come to an end. Why did the persecuted church hide God's word? Why did Malcolm Muggeridge hide God's word? It was so they could spend more time, so they could be free to spend more time in God's word. Why do we why do we put God's word into our heart so that we can spend more time in God's word? We hide God's word in our heart so it's there and accessible, that we have a treasure trove, a storeroom that we can bring out whenever we want, whether we have the Bible in our hands or not. And the benefits of hiding God's word are huge. We've got six of them that will finish our message this morning. What are the benefits of hiding God's word in our heart? Well, first of all, it means that we're being obedient. God expects us to hide his word in our heart. And uh, actually, there's a 
a double benefit here because in verse 11 of chapter 119, the psalmist says, I will meditate on God's word. And actually, that whole process of committing John 3.16 to memory is one way of meditating, of pondering. So whenever you are committing scripture to memory, that is one form of Christian meditation because you find that your brain cells are ticking over and you're thinking and you're seeing new aspects. So we hide God's word in our heart because we want to be obedient to our Heavenly Father. We also want to handle God's word rightly. There was that passage that Ross read out in Second Timothy about not being ashamed and being able to handle the word of God rightly. You will find as you spend time pondering, memorizing, that you will be more confident, you won't be ashamed about the Bible, and you'll be able to handle it rightly. Thirdly, uh, having a storeroom of verses tucked away in your heart will enrich your prayer life. You will find them popping up in prayer. You'll find you're praying from the heart and in line with the word of God. There are promises that you will have learned that you'll be able to claim. Assurances of forgiveness. Understanding and insights of who God is that causes your heart to worship. So your prayer life will be enriched. Having God's word in our heart also protects us from straying. Makes that very clear. Twice that's referenced in Psalm 119. I hide God's word in my heart so I will not sin against God. It stops our brokenness getting away from us. Stops us from straying. It tethers us to our heavenly Father. Fifth reason why it's good and the fifth benefit of hiding God's word in our heart is it's a blessing to others. Imagine you're praying with a friend and they have a concern. And then as you're praying, one of your memory verses pops in to your head. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. And so you might say to your friend, as we were praying, I felt God bring up Jeremiah 29.11 for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Now imagine if you did that while you were praying. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit using that treasure trove there and you are blessing that other person. Imagine that other person, how they feel. Wow, that's amazing, Lord. And imagine how you feel when you realize that God is using you to bless others. And so that's another benefit of hiding God's word in our heart. And our final and I think most significant benefit is that when we hide God's word in our heart, we are also hiding Christ in our heart. Now what do I mean by this? Well, remember John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. Remember how John starts his gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah, there we go. That's another one you know to your list. Seven already. (laughs) And the Word was God. Jesus was the Word. And so when you hide John 3.16 or Jeremiah 29.11 in your heart, what happens is that you're just stirring that freshness of Christ in there. It's not superstitious or or magic, but you are connecting with Christ at a real personal way. As you dig in deep to God's word, Christ becomes that much more real and alive in us. And so he is our motivation and our reward for putting the effort to reading the word regularly and committing some of it to heart. I want to finish this morning just by referencing 
Psalm 119, if you turn to that in your sheet, we can substitute the word Jesus every time there is a synonym for Christ, for God's word. So listen to this, a rereading of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to Jesus. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from Jesus. I have, had, I have hidden Jesus in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me more of Jesus. With my lips I recount all that Jesus said. I rejoice in following Jesus as one who rejoices in great riches. I meditate on Jesus and consider his ways. I delight in Jesus. I will not neglect Jesus. Let's pray.